woman. I, that might have been good to have known before I agreed to meet you. <laughs> Let the cat out of the bag early. So I made a major life decision. <laughs> Are you going to open my beer at least first before we, we get into that? You're going to give me a minute? No, I'm not changing my gender. <laughs> God damn it. Let me process this for a moment. <laughs> Kristen, fresh off of work, wearing new clothes. Damn. I bought some new work clothes last week. And they're cute. Cute. This one's got buttons up the back. I've never it seen does. a shirt like that before. They're just for looks, though. They don't do anything. Oh, you don't have to actually button them? Mm -mm. Okay, cool. No. So I was racking my brain trying to figure out how you got dressed this morning. <laughs> I did not do those buttons. <laughs> no. It's just for looks. They don't actually unbutton. <laughs> oh, God. Are you good? <laughs> have yeah. you been at work all day? <laughs> no, I just sat down and I was like, ooh, that's the feeling. Um... <laughs> As the cats immediately go at it. Yeah, they, they know what's up. We need to get a fucking studio. There's that little joint, like, right up the road. And I'm, honestly, no, I want to I want to see. I know. But I want to see, like, if I could rent it for, no. like, an hour. You know? No, we're going to get a house no. and have, like, a permanent studio that's ours. We'll figure it out. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. It'll be covered in pictures and everything will be great. And right above the door, I want to get one of those, like, we're recording light bulb <laughs> things that just On says... Air. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the shines in all of her vast glories as we ride into the sunset together. Kristen fucking Pennington. Love How you. Are you. I love you. How are you doing today? I'm glad to be home. Yeah, we were talking before we get into all of this, because today is another edition of the 222-stars-stars-stars-222-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-stars-
let the exhaustion of everything kind of beat you down. Like both of us have kind of like realized we're not going to be able to do stuff that we wanted to do, like go see our families and stuff. And like instead just kind of focusing on like the production company and like our goals and our careers and all of that stuff is like moving in a a positive direction. So it's just one of those kind of things where it's like, Oh, I'm tired now, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like just, Keep going. Well, the crazy shit is, is like we jumped off the plane in a sense when we left Murfreesboro and moved out, you know, to the west. Um, and just knowing that that part is real, like mm-hmm. the the career aspiration, the knowing that it's an endless thing that we get to do fucking forever, we just have to stick to it, makes this COVID thing uh, for me at least a lot easier because it's like I could lose my job. Mm-hmm. You know, I could get sent home, but I have a weapon in my back pocket. You know, I've called it a couple of times in a few different like poems and stories and stuff. It's like a bomb in your backpack. If you've got a notepad and a pen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can change your entire life. You just have to figure out what needs to go onto that piece of paper. And so having that weapon back there, I think it's important to find your weapon, dear listener. Might not be writing, might not be filmmaking, might not be artistically inclined at all. If you've got something in the back pocket, now's the time to reach in, figure out what the fuck that is, figure out how you can use that to your advantage. Yeah. But your day job is not, like you're not limited to your day job. That's not you. That's a thing that you do right now to make money. It doesn't need to be career. It's the idea of a 20 year career working a job that you hate is uh, ridiculous yeah. in 2020. <laughs> yeah, like the whole coronavirus situation aside, I think for me that's the, as Jax loses his shit now, um, the thing that is the most comforting for me, um, like even if there wasn't like this whole pandemic and life wasn't like extra stressful yeah. right now, like just going to work day in and day out and like having to sacrifice like so much of our free time and like do all this stuff that we don't necessarily want to do so that we can kind of keep ourselves you know afloat or like work towards Mm -hmm. goals or whatever is honestly over time like frustrating and something that kind of wears you down so like I think for me um the fact that even in these hyper stressful times like the two of us like have like a goal and we have like serious plans and serious steps and we're like taking serious measures for me is always kind of comforting because it's like we may not be there yet but we both have like the next step in mind and then the Mm. next step after that so it's not we realized when we got here because we don't know anybody you know out this way that life is a toy box like murfreesboro was the exact same thing like if we just didn't hate that place with everything inside of our souls but it it is a a world that you can move around in and change your life you Mm -hmm. know in the next five minutes it's it's very much possible if you hate your job walk off but fuck that you're not gonna (laughs) burst into flames when you make it down the street you'll figure it out Mm -hmm. you got rent to pay (laughs) if you're not homeless now the chances of you being homeless are you know a handful of bad decisions oh granted and some people wind up that way honestly and i I feel terrible for Everybody who has to sleep out on the street, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to poke fun if you've ever been in that sort of a situation before, but the world is uh, your playground. Yeah. And like, I I like that. I think that is a really nice metaphor, like that idea of the world being your playground, because that is true. Like you can kind of, um, I guess, choose how you use your time and kind of make use of your time however you want. So like, I do like that metaphor, but I guess for me, like on a, uh, 
I don't know, like on a trying to stay positive when you're like stressed and feeling uh, like worn down level. Like I like that, like your job and my job, not like our day jobs, like our artistic jobs Mm -hmm. are kind of like play for us because we do really enjoy those jobs. But it's not like play on the level like this is a little kitty game we're doing. Like it's not like I'm just going to fuck around and hope it works out, you know. Yeah, like this is like, (laughs) it's not literally all just play. It's like work that we're putting in and like we have like, like I said, like goals and aspirations. So it's not just like, oh, I'll tinker around and maybe it'll work out. It's like, no, I've got like the next step and the Mm -hmm. next step and like. This is just getting bigger, so like it's comforting in the. It's not like when I was times. a kid, you know. They used to have. I don't know. if They probably don't, but uh, in the early '90s, they had those big dome-shaped contraptions that you would climb up on oh, top yeah. of. <laughs> and I didn't understand that you weren't supposed to climb on the inside of the dome. Oh no! Because <laughs> I thought that's the fun part. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> monkey bars that mm-hmm. go up and go back down. And I remember one time when I was a kid. I climbed all the way up. I got to the middle, and then I just let go. Oh, no. Hands, feet, everything all went at once. And I anything? fucking went right now. I didn't break anything because I'm a resilient, like, four-year-old. But I <laughs> <laughs> fell, landed on my back in the pine chips, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it hurt for a minute, and then I had to get, like, I, there was no option for me because all my friends were fucking around on the dome thing. <gasps> there was no option for me to switch careers, go over to the swing set. <laughs> Sticking to my metaphor here. And, Those are not safe toys, though. So I, back but on. I also still didn't figure out that I was supposed to go to the other side of the dome, climb up that motherfucker. <laughs> I, I tried to get really good at this really difficult task. So you can't switch toys. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck I'm going with this. Welcome to another edition of the Two Star Tuesday. I hope you enjoyed our little fucking nine minute little. Tangent off into space about, you know, trying to be happy in these dangerous, dangerous times. But the dangerous, dangerous times are over. Coronavirus is a thing of the past. Uh-huh. We're never going to have to worry about that again. I'm, never. You know, I'm, 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 I'm sure Donald Trump hasn't said anything crazy between the time that we've had this conversation <laughs> and the time that he said inevitably something insane an hour from now. <laughs> what are we covering today, Kristen? Could it be, perhaps, an Irish film? It is. My people. Uh, <laughs> All Saints Preservers. <laughs> this is 2017's The Lodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of on the cusp. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 55%, an audience score of 41%, and an IMDb score of 5.1. So it's right in the middle. Yeah. It's about right at where we would not do it. So it's kind of cheating, but we needed a, yeah, I wanted yeah. a foreign film. Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, we talked on our last two star about the. Um. Ah, uh, fuck! I'm blanking on the word. IRA. The no, like the little description that kind of grabs you. I'm blanking on the formal term for it. The blurb. But yeah, the blurb. Thank you. Um, kind of being a thing that catches you, and I wanted to do this tagline. one. Yeah, blurb or tagline, whatever. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um. We found this one at the same time that we found Rattlesnake, and I wanted to do this one because I thought the description on it was mm-hmm. pretty interesting, too. Um, but we ended up doing Rattlesnake because we thought the description on that one was a little more compelling. Yeah. I think this movie turned out to be better. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about the scores, just right off the bat? Lowballing hardcore. Yeah. I, three quarters of the way through, and I would maintain all the way through the entirety of this film. So if you've not seen it, now's your time to watch it because we're going to ruin it. Yeah. Um, I would give this film some sort of an award. like, it, I And would... I found out that it was nominated for one. I didn't write down the festival oh, really? name, but it didn't win that award. But I would have given this some 
serious consideration for yeah you know, i would probably rate it between 75 and 80 honestly oh i would go Very, 85 90 really? like i'd be there i've only got one upsetting thing so <laughs> yeah i i honestly probably in my opinion our best two star we've ever watched and again it's kind of on the cusp but it's it's very low rated for mm-hmm. how good it is. Well, I love this one for different reasons than I love, say, Stitches. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Why do we always come back to Stitches? But anyway. Nobody's um... ever fallen into a washing machine <laughs> and hit a knife in the exact same hole twice in any film. And I think that's braver so than anything bad. that's ever happened in horror. It's so bad. Um, so it was directed by Brian O'Malley. Um, written by David Turnpine. And neither of them had really done any work that um, I knew actually both of them had shockingly short filmographies for hmm. how good this movie is. I think both of them had maybe done only like five or six movies. So. I wonder if they're big films in Ireland. Because like American films are big everywhere. Yeah. But like when you go to England and yeah. you see all their advertisements, it's like getting applause from like the London Times and like all this other shit. You know, like I've never even heard of that actor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, honestly, for how incredibly well done this movie was, yeah. I, I expected them both to have done way more. And both of them had very small stuff listed on their IMDb at least. I mean, mm-hmm. they could have... I guess done stuff that's not on there, but nothing that I knew. Um, it was produced and distributed by Epic Pictures. Yeah. Uh, they had several other production companies listed, but this was like the big one. And why is that important, Kristen Pennington? They also did Zombieverse. What? <laughs> Can you tell me? Are you saying that the I film am. that our entire relationship <laughs> is based upon was made by the same production company that has made arguably the best two-star Tuesday we've ever watched. <laughs> yeah. They have a range of movies, apparently. <laughs> they can do everything. I'm like, how did Netflix get the lodgers? Like, this is better than Netflix. And then who watched Zombieverse? And it's like, how did they... Did Bill Burr pay people off this entire time? To get 30 seconds yeah. at the beginning so of Zombieverse. They have ridiculous gore porn horror films and then they have very artsy gothic horror films so I, I epic pictures has a nice variety for epic you should stay at the you know the gothy dramatic <laughs> yeah. um i didn't write down all the individual grosses and then they didn't have a budget listed at all but worldwide gross was actually only um nine hundred and sixteen thousand seven hundred and twenty-seven. Hmm. um so yeah not not a it might have been like a festival yeah. film though not like a domestic release yeah. or anything like that. Which, I that. mean, depending on how much they spend on it, I guess that's not terrible. It's just under... Under a uh, mil. A million, yeah. But um, not quite as much as I expected it to have made mm-hmm. for a worldwide gross. But, oh, yeah. Um, shall we do trivia first and then a synopsis and then kind of get into... Let's do a synopsis first. Yeah, because I've, I've, yeah. I've got a big chunk. A long time ago, I tried to make this idea where I would find an interesting fact and introduce it. The first one was an episode all about clowns. That might have been the Stitches episode where I had a 30-minute trivia section just about clowns broken up inside of the episode. We've both been like, busy and those have fallen off a bit, but yeah. we, we have some fun facts today. I had facts about women one time, and then it, the last one was the first transgender female. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. Want Can't remember what was, that was about. It was it was Zombievers. The episode on Zombievers. I had beaver facts, and the last oh, one was about the first person oh who gosh. had sexual reconstructive gosh. surgery to get a fucking vagina. I forgot about that. Yeah, because I, I was like, that has nothing to do with anything. But this is a more serious mm-hmm. version of that. I'm not going to shock you with any, you know, pussy jokes. <laughs> do you want to do the synopsis? Uh, no, you're you're for it. You're the okay. synopsis person. So I'm going to read 
read the there's a song that they sing in this movie. I'm yeah. going to read the lyrics to it to you and that kind of helps establish the film itself. I googled the song praying that it was an actual haunting Irish lullaby. It's not. Definitely it was not. just for the film. <laughs> so, it's girl child, boy child, listen well. Be in bed by midnight spell. Never let a stranger through your door. Never leave each other all alone. Good sister, good brother be. Follow well these cautions three. Long as your blood be ours alone, we'll see you ever from below. Fuck yeah. Um, so the premise of this movie is our two main characters, Rachel and Sean, are twins. Mm-hmm. Um, they... Edward. Oh, sorry. Rachel and Edward. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Sean's the love interest. Rachel and Edward are twins. They live in this house all by themselves that has basically been in their family for centuries. Yeah. And um, they're not allowed to leave the house unless it's basically for like supplies or whatever they're expected mm-hmm. to stay there they have to be in bed by midnight they can't let anybody else into the home and it's basically they have to live the secluded life away from everyone else unfortunately their trust fund has been blood dry the house is in just shitty decay and they're trying to figure out how they're going to yeah. survive plot twist there are ghosts of all their ancestors <laughs> living under the cellar yeah that will fuck their world up if they don't follow the rules. Mm-hmm. And, um... Edward's trying to fuck his sister. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> all of the centuries of their family are just incest twins who have been fucking each other. Arguably my favorite <laughs> part of this. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and give you characters and then we'll do trivia, I guess. So I wrote down, um... The four really main characters, and I wrote down all of their names, um, just because the acting was so phenomenal, yeah. in my opinion. I felt like they deserved credit. So Rachel's the main female character. She was played by Charlotte Vega. She's a bad bitch in this movie. <laughs> yeah. She gives no fucks, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she unfortunately hadn't really done anything at all that I knew, but mm-hmm. I just felt like she deserved props, because hell of a performance on Charlotte's part. Edward is her twin brother that's played by Bill Milner. Um, The only thing that he had done that I knew was X-Men First Class, and he played a younger version of Magneto. Um, Hmm. So I don't know if he was young at the time that that movie came out or if it was like teenage Magneto, but um, yeah, played a young version of Magneto. Sean was played by Eugene Simon. Um, He was in Game of Thrones. He played Lancel Lannister. I am not familiar enough to know. I know that the Lannisters are one of the main families, but I gave up on Game of Thrones halfway through the first episode. Don't yell at me. I I like guns. I don't like Like swords. That's it. If they just (laughs) had guns, I'd be all for it. Yeah, I know Tyrion Lannister and Jaime Lannister. As far as the men go, I have no idea who Lancel is. I'm assuming just one of the younger siblings. Mm -hmm. Um... And then, We're going to get hate mail. We're going to be like, he's one of the main dudes. <laughs> yeah. I, unfortunately, I've only seen so much yeah. of Game of Thrones, too. It's it's a, a well-done series, but a lot to sit through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last is Birmingham, who is played by David Bradley, who has an incredibly accomplished career, but I think we all know and love him from Harry Potter. He played Argus <laughs> Filch. Um, but incredibly accomplished English yeah. actor. He has an aston- like astonishing career. But I, I wrote down Harry Potter because I feel like that's what we're all going to immediately think of when we see him. I, I can picture in my head that dude, you know, but I'm not a huge Harry Potter He's fan. He's the dude who has the cap that's yeah. always does he have like, like, to bed. Does he yeah. have the little lamp? Totally yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is he the big fat ogre guy? Like. So I'm going to do my two trivia and then let Brett deep dive into his because Brett did some yeah. serious research for us today. Um, 
So I thought this was pretty cool, and it kind of bleeds into, I guess, Brett's trivia. Um, David Turpine, who is the writer, um, wrote the story based on, like, he would imagine ghosts taking over his house at night when he would go to bed. So that was, like, actual, like, childhood fantasy he Fuck had. Yeah. That ghosts would come in at night while he was asleep and take over the house. So he just tapped into that as an adult? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of what the story was based on. I think if I'm remembering right... Um, it was David, like David and um, the director, Brian, both are apparently also musicians, and I'm thinking it was David, um, composed the music for this film. So oh, they're both nice. very like artistic people. Um, and then my only other trivia is that this was filmed in Loftus House. And tell us about Loftus House, Brett. The Loftus Hall. Oh, sorry, Loftus Hall. Formerly named <laughs> the Redmond Hall. But what we're going to get into here on our first, so that this conversation can just kind of bleed into our first topic that we wanted to dive into. Um, my favorite part of this movie, arguably, is this fucking house. Oh, it's stunning. It's just goddamn gorgeous. It's run down, as we've talked about on here before. I love the odd antique that happens in a horror film. This movie is filled with centuries old you know little nuances even the the raven's cage is that old wire cage with the old dead bones in the bottom if you sell me on antiques that that's basically all you need i just need to go oh my god that's gorgeous <laughs> and this house was an antique that master bedroom too you yeah. loved that bed I, I i loved the bed i loved every element of this fucking thing and then we were wondering is this place real or is this some rundown old estate that they've shot and if you're questioning that for yourself it is indeed real and it is indeed still that that's just how it looks it is run down <laughs> But it is called the Loftus House, the Hall. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> and right now, I didn't look at the price because COVID has shut it down. Uh, you can get a 45-minute guided tour of just the lower floor, which includes the tapestry room. We'll get to the tapestry room here in a second. I've got I think a... we're not doing that when we go to Ireland, though. You're wrong. Uh, we're definitely <laughs> doing it. I read a one-star review from one person who said, I do not like this tour. And it was like fucking three pages long of how much he hated the tour guide because apparently he's spent the past five years reading about the legend of this place. And the tour, and guide, he, the tour guide was just trying to sell the guest story but, oh, or no. the ghost story. But like, he was he was getting all the facts wrong and apparently he got in a big-ass <laughs> argument with this tour guide and got thrown out of the fucking oh, no. place. But, he's like, I should be touring this. So, initially... This place is called the Redmond Hall. When do you think the plot of land that it sits on was first like established as a homestead of one sense or another? Hint, it's a castle. 1830. 1830. It really? Not even close. Oh, I this you were place with is me. 850 years old. You are close to the renovation date, but you're still off. Um, the first castle was built in 1170 Damn. By, Nor by a Norman knight named Raymond Le Gros, who changed his surname to Redmond to adapt an Irish identity. I guess he came in here as part of a warring people. He's like, there's a lot more people named Redmond than are named Croch. <laughs> so he, he tried to bleed in with the Irish people. Uh, he built the hall, or he didn't build the hall because he was about 200 years dead. But the family built the hall, the building that you see in the film, in 1350. 
Um, That's crazy. In the middle, it actually looks good for being metal. In well, that because the renovations happen closer to your guest oh. <laughs> But in 1350, in the middle of the Black Death, that's how much money they had. People were dying on the streets, being moved in wheelbarrows, and these guys built that house in the middle of the plague. Then, some shit goes down, and that's where we get the Loftus name. Um, Following the Irish Confederate Wars, which lasted from 1641 to 1653, the Loftus family in the 1650s, so at the later end of this, um, it, 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 it says it was given to a family of English farmers named the Loftus. Probably taken. But it also says it was part of the Cromwellian conflicts and the conquest. So basically, I think an army wound up on the front yard and said, hey, you guys want to leave? Or are we going to blow your fucking house up? <laughs> so then it became a part of the Loftus family. The current building was renovated in 1872 so through close. 1879. You were still 40 years yeah, off, but close. you were in the right you know, century. <laughs> Uh, in preparation for a visit from Queen Victoria. And for me, this is the most interesting detail about this house. It makes me wonder if the script was written for this particular house. Queen never showed up. Hmm. She never came. So the fanfare and all the money that they'd spent renovating the house to look exactly as it looks in that film caused the family to go into massive debt. They lose the house. They have to sell it in 1917. This film takes place in 1920. And the house was built by a group of nuns of a specific order. 18 years later, 1935, it's taken over by a different sect of nuns who eventually use it as a school for girls who wish to become nuns can't remember the official title of it but the house is used basically to raise kids to be nuns in the secondary order and then some shit went down in the middle of all that way back in the 1700s because this was apparently bought in the 80s so from 1935 to 1980 something it was a, a school for girls then it became a haunted hotel attraction that didn't do very well because nobody knew what was going on and then it was bought by the people who now own it there, there were, i had like seven tabs earlier just trying to get the key points but, I literally know none of this. I'm learning at the same time. Yeah, if you're answer. Irish and you're listening to this, I'm sorry that I am, like, <laughs> compressing the fuck out of 800 years of history. But... I'm Irish and I'm listening to this like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but that leads us to some strange shit that happened in the 1700s. That is the legend of the Loftest Hall. And I'm getting this information directly off of loftusthall.ie. It's the... Uh, people that do the tours now so this is how they've written it i'm sorry if i misspeak or anything i'm reading from a distance and i've had a few beers <laughs> loftus hall stands alone and austere on the bleak landscape the backdrop adds to the eerie energy and you guys spell weirds weird words weird <laughs> it is for many years said to have been visited by the devil so many people from the surrounding so many people from the surrounding area are nervous to enter the place after dark <laughs> legend <laughs> Legend has it that during a storm at sea, a dark stranger approached the hall on horseback after his ship was driven into nearby Slade Harbor, 
with rough seas. He was invited in to seek shelter and spent days with the Tottenham family who were living at the hall at the time. The young lady, Anne Topman, was especially taken with this dark stranger, falling head over heels for him. One night, during a card game, she dropped a card, and upon bending down to retrieve it, she noticed that the stranger had cloven hooves instead of feet. As soon as he realized that she had seen, he shot through the roof in a ball of flame, hmm. and Anne never recovered. She went into a state of shock and madness, and her family locked her in the tapestry room, the same room where the card game had taken place, for fear that anyone would ever see her. She died a few years later, still quite young, but her death was no release as servants and family members reported seeing her wandering around the house at night. The family had the local Catholic priest, Father Broders, exercise the hall, but he could not exercise the tapestry room. This story has been told through the years, and many have said there is something about certain areas of the hall, its atmosphere, the temperature, and the general feeling of unease. Since Loftus Hall was reopened to the public in 2012 for house tours, people claim to feel and see things in the hall that have left them wondering. And the extra detail that I found on another website but did not bother to save that article is that Anne's grave, um, which I believe is on the grounds, is the only grave in the entire cemetery that is encased in a concrete stone, like tomb. So she's buried in the ground basically twice. She's encased yeah. as if they buried a secret that they didn't want to be let free. So I'm hesitant to buy into these kind of stories when it's from the I forest. think it's a schizophrenic that they locked in the tapestry oh, room. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm hesitant to buy into these kind of stories when it's a tourist location because I feel like that's always kind of a gimmick just to make money, but I would totally still go. Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> they do day tours, they do night tours, and apparently the day tour is better because the night tour is more gimmicky. I bet. Like they've no. got actors that'll like walk from room to room and shit like that, so... Yeah, I think I'd honestly just want to see the location, even if nothing weird The location happened. looks beautiful, and in the tapestry room, there is a massive scorched hole in the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the room where people are like, it's colder in there than it is everywhere else yeah. in the house. <laughs> even if nothing weird happened, though, it'd just be neat to like go to the location and hear the history. So yeah. I'd, be, I'd be down for well, it. Well, that's all I do when I go to England. I find weird shit to take tours <laughs> of because it's beautiful. Well, when we go to Ireland, we're going there. For sure. Because this is an Irish film. But this house is... Is my favorite, you know, part of this film. The the goddamn bed with the like the moldy draperies that are hanging over in that yeah, deep no, dark like red. Twisted, and it, yeah, almost like it's like a bloody mass. Was like, beautiful. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that there's such like weird, quirky character traits, like from the outside of the house. We were both like, Oh, like that one drape hanging out the window mm -hmm. and then the bottom windows are boarded up so nobody can come in through the windows and like I just, so, like, real care was put into setting. Yeah. Like How it, do you approach that? Because we don't have a set design person, so for all intents and purposes, you are... Uh, no, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm not the person to ask. Um, I don't know. Like I, Because I, I, that's not really an area of film I've had to do too much work on. Like, whenever I went to Atlanta and, like, worked on that film, mm -hmm. or my first film or whatever, for, like, a month, there was, like, a day or two that I had to, like, help the art department and... Um, the art department yeah. does like set dressing and stuff like that so like i had to help with that a little bit but like i feel like 
if you're not doing a specific time period piece, a lot of it is just like, how do we kind of balance out the background and make it less boring, but also make mm -hmm. it not too distracting. So like for me, like my experience with it is so minimal that like I, I don't even want to try to address someone that did something this large scale because well, this it's is a I mean that this person is an artist and yeah. I don't know if that was director's decision or if they were like hey yo I don't know why why did the iris say yo uh <laughs> oh yeah, yeah leprechaun uh get over <laughs> yeah, like on, on such a massive scale I think to me I'm outside of how stunning the location is the thing to me that like stood out the most was when you're inside the house, which it's a very rundown looking, mm -hmm. the way that they've filmed it and the way that they've set it up, so that kind of helps. But it's a very gray and drab, and all the lighting is just so and the dim. The wallpaper's and so, peeling off. Yeah, and like the way it's filmed, like all the lighting is so dim and so boring and so gray. And as soon as she's outside in the world, there's like green grass and sunlight. Beautiful Irish and, countryside. Yeah, and like the people are, you know, not as welcoming, but the land and like mm -hmm. the lake that she keeps going to, there's just so much life and color and like the ability to contrast like this cage that she's in from the outside world that yeah. she wants so badly to be a part of. Turns is... her into that metaphorical raven that her yeah. brother's taking care of yeah. in the cage. Yeah. And like the contrast there too of like her brother being terrified of like all this beauty that's out there. Like she's mm -hmm. like, I just want to walk in the garden with you and he can't stand the sunlight. Yeah, he wants to own the beauty. Yeah. Much in the way that he owns the raven, much in the way that he owns his sister. He wants it in the house. Mm -hmm. It needs to be here. It, it can't be sent free. wants to crush it so it dies yeah. with them. Yeah. Like, like up mice and men fucking hugging the rabbits. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, like, I, I, I can't even touch the set dressing because there's like some mastery behind that location. But I just like the contrast between the inside and outside world and how you visibly feel suffocated inside of the house. Yeah. It's just so incredible and it's got layers it's got the main floor where much of the film takes place it's got the upper living quarters where the bedrooms are and the fucking cellar where the hell is so they're constantly having to get to the safety of the upstairs yeah. having to walk right over the top of that cellar door at the base of the stairs yeah. you know to get up so every time they move up and down the stairs there's a chance that they could be yeah. killed and it creates a sense of unease yeah and like i don't know if we I don't remember if we ever see the inside of her brother's room ever really, but we see quite a bit of the inside of her bedroom and the fact that her bed is like covered in this canopy. So like her bed is almost like her only safe space that she has. Yeah. And then she's got this old school makeup vanity that has like the main mirror and the two side mirrors. And that's actually pretty common. That's not that weird. But the fact that they take this old school makeup vanity and turn it into we constantly see either three of her reflections or when her brother's in a mm -hmm. room talking to her, we see his reflection in part of the mirror. So it always feels like somebody's watching her. Yeah. Like she's never just alone because you see like at all as times. As large as the house is, it's very claustrophobic. Yeah. Like anytime yeah. she's in a room, you see like all these different like images in the mirror and it's like a just I, like the stunning beauty <laughs> behind like taking this massive location and making it feel like it's a cage. Yeah. It's crazy. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I... I I want that house. I would buy that house, run down or not. I would live there. We could buy that one. I would live there one. a fucking thousand percent. <laughs> we could buy that one. <laughs> and then the outside world, oddly, for the beginning of the film, is not the safe 
place to be because mm-hmm. of the, the neighbors that are constantly harassing them, the debts they can't pay, and everything out there that they're being told they're not allowed inside. I wouldn't want to run into any of these people on the street, you know. Yeah. And I like the fact that even by the end of the movie, we never really established that the outside world is honestly any safer than her home. Mm-hmm. It's like you just got to kind of roll the dice yeah. and hopefully it it's ends up better. post-World War One Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> like, she definitely potentially almost gets raped when that gang, like, traps her yeah. and, like, she gets away. But, like... Like, it's very clear the outside world actually isn't any safer of a place. And she's like, I'm going to take my my chances Mm because I can't do this anymore. And the sense of the isolation that comes inside the house is brought up. What we got next here on our list, which is our... (laughs) I I love that they, they went after taboos that you see. I guess they're not so much a taboo in European film just because sexuality is expressed far easier over there than mm-hmm. it is in America. They're not as Protestant. Um, but we get some of the most beautiful bathing scenes in this film. You've got an incest angle. There's a masturbation that gets flirted mm-hmm. with that adds a sense of realness and depth to the character. Because yeah. these are the, the naughty things you're not supposed to see. Yeah. But they're not sexually exploitive at the same time. And I think my favorite thing about it, which we talked about while we were watching the movie, is that um, the main female character is the only character that we see naked, I think, at any point in this mm-hmm. movie. But she's not... No. You see everybody's asses. You see the parents and the ghosts, yeah. yeah. Um but I guess as far as real world characters that are alive in this movie, she is technically the only one that we see naked. Um, and it's not shown, like you said, in an exploitive way. Like mm-hmm. it's not like American movies are all like tits and all that. And like, well, the scene very... in the bathtub, you see the side of her breast, the, you know, almost behind her. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's it. But it feels so much more intimate because yeah. in an American film, the camera would have been in front of her. Her tits would have been waving oh, around yeah. in broad daylight. Yeah. It wouldn't she have been would have that, had a double yeah. D's. It wouldn't have been that <laughs> contrast with the moonlight that like makes it feel like you're the voyeur. Yeah. You know, I'm putting you in the brother's position here. Yeah, and like there's um, that scene too where she's like imagining the guy that she's into like going home Sean, with her yeah. yeah and she's like creeping her hand up her skirt and like all of these are like instead of this weird sexualization where we see some dude literally impaling her or whatever it's like instead of sexualizing her as a person yeah. it's her exploration into her own sexuality mm-hmm. that's as like really interesting 18 year old who's never been outside of her house except to pick up the local groceries yeah and there's that super cool scene because there is a incest element to this movie where her and her brother when she goes to take her bath or undressing at the same time, like, singing and this nursery rhyme. Yeah. yeah, like, she's undressing in the bathroom, like, rubbing her hand across her chest, and her brother's in his own bedroom, like, doing the exact same mm-hmm. motion, and they're both singing the same song, and, like, like we know she's sexualizing Sean, but he's sexualizing his sister. Yeah. So there's this weird, like, both of them kind of intimately exploring themselves, <laughs> like, moment, but they're not thinking the same stuff. <laughs> It's a, that I thought it was a beautiful angle to run with all of it, like it, because she is such a strong character, you know. Yeah. Morally, she drives this entire fucking plot. And both of them, she doesn't give a shit. When shit gets bad, she gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> she hops in that bitch like Laura Croft. <laughs> and, and both of the women are actually pretty strong characters. Like yeah. Sean's sister 
is a bit more feisty and um whenever they both get like surrounded by that gang in the like woods right outside of the house like they both are kind of like fuck you and like run off and like yeah. i like that that the women in this movie are like stronger characters like technically i guess sean quote unquote comes to her rescue but she ends up having to rescue him and mm-hmm. then he gets his own ass killed because he jumps into a cellar full of water <laughs> <laughs> and it's only got one leg <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah i am um, the speaking of cellar full of water and um taboo stuff like I, I like the fact that we've talked about before like in a movie where you have to establish rules like there are mm-hmm. there's a literal nursery rhyme yeah. of rules that they it's have easy to, to remember it's like four lines yeah there. and like this movie's very clear cut like these are the rules you have to follow and if you don't follow these rules there's going to be a problem and it's going to be a problem <laughs> yeah and there's these ghosts of their ancestors i guess living under the water and like when she's talking to Sean next to the lake she makes a comment about the water washing her parents sins away yeah. because turns out later on we find out the dad killed the mom mm-hmm. and then killed himself <laughs> but uh <laughs> they both thought it was like a suicide and they both went into the water and killed themselves because they couldn't deal with I guess the shame of being siblings and having had children yeah. or whatever but she makes that comment about the water washing their sins away but all of these demons and all of these monsters live in the water and there's always this metaphor of like the cellar flooding and the water raining mm. up and yeah. gorgeous are we talking about that later in here can <laughs> we? we can kind of mix around okay, yes it cool. is in here yeah no a little overdone on the you know reverse image shot but only a little I liked that it was kind of a trope in this movie. Like, we get to see the water getting sucked back in and then it's blowing back out later. And, and it's raining The raining up. that goes yeah. upward into the ceiling, which might be implicit of the hooved, you know, stranger shooting up in a ball of Because there flame. is that spot whenever Birmingham comes yeah. and he's like, you've let the ceiling rot. And it's just this one spot that's all moldy mm-hmm. and gross. So. That's probably the tapestry room. <laughs> I think it was the main hall. Because oh. it keeps showing it right above the cellar, but maybe an allusion to the mm-hmm. tapestry room. Is there a, a scene in the tapestry room in this movie? I don't I have to look. I don't, that it's seems to be their location. most important room, so they probably were like, anything but. And then yeah. they had to allude to it. You know? Yeah. I Crazy, stunning location. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know. I There's so much to talk about with this movie. Sorry, I'm a little all over the place. It's, no, I look, you're fine. <laughs> was honestly blown I away. love this thing. We can go in any direction you want to go. Deep breaths. Um, oh, we, I, I think we brought up isolation like in passing earlier, but that's another yeah. topic that I have that I wanted to talk about. Like this idea that um, they don't live that far away outside of society. She walks to town yeah. to buy like their supplies that they need, and everybody knows that they live in that house up on the hill. Just nobody goes to see them, and they're not realistically that isolated from their community. Because she spends all day in the town. Like she, she doesn't just hang out at the house. She doesn't stay out past nightfall. I she think she spends most brother. of her day at the lake. I think she only goes to the yeah. town for supplies. But like she's allowed to go to town and allowed to buy supplies, and like they have. Like, Birmingham, who manages their estate that they keep in contact with. So, like, they're not literally cut off from the world. And that's almost, like, more beautiful that they just live on this house on the hill that nobody's allowed to go Mm -hmm. to. And, like, we create 
It's like, like a this... reverse of the role that the Bates Motel plays in Psycho, mm-hmm. where instead of inviting strangers, you know, yeah, stay in our rooms down there, but don't go up to the house. They're like, no, don't go near the motel. Yeah, don't go up to the house. <laughs> yeah, and like there's this weird beauty between the increasing tension in her relationship with her brother because she wants so bad for him to work up the courage to leave the house because freedom is just on the other just side of the gate. Just to walk the garden with her. Yeah. That's all she wants him to do. And yeah. that's all Sean does. And that's the brilliance just in that character. Because once Sean comes in, hardcore understanding for a 1920s World War One vet who got his leg blown off where he's like, oh, you don't want to have sex? I respect your decision. <laughs> you know, but... Like, she just wanted somebody to be able to talk to, to walk the grounds with. But I I like even in their relationship, like, she is hyper, because she's never really been around anyone besides her brother, hyper-sexually interested in him. But when they sit down and talk, like, there's this immediate, like, headbutting where she's Mm -hmm. like, I want to get out, like... It's not safe here. I don't want to be here. And he's like, no, it's not safe out there. What are you talking about? You should stay here. And like, there's this immediate This is a clash. beautiful veteran story. Yeah. Which is like, no, you, you don't understand. I know how it feels to not be safe. And yeah. so I like, I've responded a lot to Sean's character. Because when you get out of the service, the world is weird. But if you get out of the service and Ireland just, you know, is in the middle of the troubles and you just fought for the British government... You can't even go home. Yeah. It would be like a Vietnam veteran coming back, except if Vietnam was in uh, Arkansas. You know? But there's even that, like... That... Like, you turned on our own people? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but there's even that moment where they're talking, and he's like, you don't have to be afraid of dying. And she's like, no, I'm afraid of living, not yeah. dying. And, like, the fact that they, like, on a mental level don't see the world the same way, because he's like... You know, oh, there are bad people in the world. Yeah. And she's like, you don't know the monsters I've seen. Yeah. So like, like, out there is terrifying. I would give anything to be able to live in that house. And she's like, out in here is terrifying. I would give yeah. anything to be and out like there her, with those people. Her one, like, serious point of connection with the outside world doesn't really understand her either. Which is probably how a soldier feels, to be fair. So there would have been... It would have been nice, I guess, to have seen a bit more parallel with him... Like, they do show him a bit as being the outsider of the town, and people in the yeah. town don't like him, but there would have been... An... He gets picked on by the local bully, yeah. you know, for being peg-legged and fighting on the wrong yeah. side. Poetically, it would have been a little bit prettier to see both of those relationships kind of... Fleshed out a yeah. bit more. Yeah. So, that would have been nice, I guess, but, like, I just, I don't know, like, the beauty behind that. Mm-hmm. Like, she's so cut off when she's not really, and then she meets someone that she's, like... She's so innocent. Yeah. He's so jaded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like that they don't really quite get each other. Mm-hmm. And then it almost. It's a hardcore relationship to introduce into a horror film. You know, like my big takeaway from this thing is this feels like one of those BBC timepieces. But I hate BBC timepieces. So this was shot in this beautifully dramatic way. It had all of the things that we needed to establish it as a horror film, but you can't make it the length of a BBC timepiece. Give it two and a half hours to let it breathe and build. And so you, they did a wonderful job of hitting what they needed to hit and pulling out right when they needed to pull out. I would have added an hour to this motherfucker and been like, establish this. Like, if yeah. you're going to do this kind of a film where it looks like the motherfucking Godfather, 
let's let it breathe. Yeah. And maybe that's too much for the budget, and I completely understand. I'm not mad at you for not doing it. If I had one corrective action, it's when you get the money, please add an hour to this movie. (laughs) I think for me, my one thing would be the pacing as a whole. Like, there were moments where... You got bored. No, I didn't get bored per se, but there were moments, and I, I can't think of any one specific one, which is a testament to how, like little they affected my opinion of the film like there were moments where i was like we could pick up the pace a little bit well it felt like they were like one two minute you know like that you could have cut that in the editing block Mm. you know we don't need this particular you know shot but outside of that you know it it was close as shit where it's like you're you're off by 30 seconds in this scene but 30 seconds isn't that long i don't think for me it was even individual scenes i think it was more like she's like I'm going to leave today. And then she's like, okay, but I'm going to leave tomorrow. (laughs) And then the next day, and I get there's that like tension with like, she doesn't want to leave her brother behind. But I think for me, the fact that we kept kind of like, oh, I'm going to leave and then I'm not going to leave and then I'm going to leave. And like, could have been spent in other places. Like we could have gotten to know Sean's character a little bit more. We could have seen that. We should have had larger power moves between the brother and sister and Sean. Yeah. Cause like, at the end, when Sean snaps, it feels a little too sudden. Not, like, aggressively too sudden, but, like, a little too sudden yeah. that he's suddenly... Like, him killing Birmingham They didn't was, build... Well, that's what I'm saying by there's an hour, you know, that goes by. And yeah. you, or an, an hour that I would add. And if you would have built the tension between him and the street gang and, like, yeah. built the tension between, because it's about her, yeah. you know. And then when he rushes in and dies the valiant hero... Yeah. it would have felt more painful Mm -hmm. like i didn't care i wanted the pain yeah you know instead of a baseline horror well i guess sean's dead yeah and even like with edward like him killing birmingham felt well timed like i was okay with that um transition i guess in the story but Mm -hmm. when he suddenly goes demonic and he's like i'm gonna rape my sister like it felt too forced a bit to Mm -hmm. me so I, i think if we had had a little more time to see the spirits kind of taking him over and just a scene of him masturbating if she's gonna masturbate let's put him sneaking into her bedroom and she catches him and there's like that you know established this is like a rape type thing yeah and then there's gonna play with the taboo dive into that motherfucker (laughs) and then there's that moment too where there's such a beautiful moment where he pulls the raven out of the um the chimney. chimney. I love and the raven we, scene. we see this tenderness from him, but then he starts carrying the raven everywhere he goes, so it develops into this obsession that he has. Yeah. But, but the, the whole point of the raven that I loved was right before that, the first thing you see of him is the same thing you see of his father in the lake later on in the movie, yeah. where he just grabs her by the back of the head and he's screaming at her, and then the next time you see him, you're like, oh, he's not always like that. Yeah. You know, He's just really adhering to these rules. Yeah. But, like, the raven bothered me because I liked the tenderness of him caring for the raven mm-hmm. and his his commentary on mothers loving ravens. Like Mothers love ravens, not kind of, my mother loves yeah. ravens. Well, yeah. it kind of alludes to, I think, too, that he, like, or for me anyway, it kind of alluded to that they were he was going to try to have sex with his sister because mm-hmm. he tries to present the raven to his sister and that's his comment on the raven is mothers love ravens and, like, I kind of got this always trying to make his sister yeah. a mother. But 
at the tail end of the movie, like I was fine with the tenderness of the raven. I was fine with the obsession of the raven because it kind of parallels his obsession with his sister. But at the tail end, when she says there's no raven in the cage, like it is kind of her yeah. shattering the fantasy that he has of his sister. But it's so sudden and so passing and nothing else kind of builds that moment that I'm like, oh, I needed some more of that. Like, yeah. let's break this illusion that he has that they're going to be together forever and mm -hmm. that she loves him in that way. Like I needed like a little more of that like played out because it was just like this like bam, like the Raven doesn't exist and neither does this. And yeah. that was it. It was like a Tyler Durden moment without all of the buildup that yeah. went into Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, like I needed some more. It's like always all it. in your head. It's like, oh no, you need the little, the build. Yeah. Make me care that they're separate people yeah. and then tell but me they're the same. he's imagined this creature he's taking yeah. care of and he's imagined this relationship that he has with his sister. Like I needed some more meat to that. Yeah. No, it, it, it deserved another hour. And that's a compliment. That's not an insult. I'm yeah. not taking anything away from O'Malley or whatever his name was. O'Malley. <laughs> okay, good. I just threw it out is. a random Irish name. It is. It's like Smith in Ireland. He's yeah. like, like O'Malley. <laughs> I think... O'Connor and O'Malley are like the two people you meet when you go to Ireland. It is O'Malley. <laughs> I think hands down one of my favorite lines outside of the line about the water washing away their sins, though, which wraps up this whole theme of isolation though um birmingham comes to the house and like wants to be lit in and he's like i've come all the way from the mainland and yeah. um rachel goes this is our mainland like yeah. they are a country inside yeah. of a country yeah inside of a inside house. of a house that yeah. was built and lost in the <laughs> confederate like the, the Ireland's version of the Civil War like, is what that house came out of in the real world. Yeah, like, so it, it ties in on like four different levels. Yeah, but in a very Who's the writer? Can we... Uh, let me go back. Can we find this dude? Is there any <laughs> chance I can get on a Zoom meeting I with this know. motherfucker? Why are you asking me? Because he's an Irish writer. Uh, David Turpine. Yeah, I feel, I, I feel like we could find this dude. I feel like me and him are in the same but, income bracket. Poetically, in a very real sense. The whole sense, movie is so poetic. Poetically, in a very real sense, Rachel and Edward are an island. Yeah. Every conversation, I pointed it out while we were watching it, every conversation was so quotable. It was it, it dripped... With a kind of poetry to it. So, maybe one of my favorite writers for two stars that we've watched. De definitely. We need to do an awards banquet and this motherfucker's <laughs> getting invited. <laughs> it's like, all right, I know you live in Dublin. All right, I need you to move to Montana. <laughs> We're doing an awards ceremony at a brewery and I need you to be there. Uh, are we down to our last category? Are you ready to go? I don't know where we are. Effects. I, do I? Effects. Category four. Oh, it's on a different piece of paper. Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, ah, sorry, fans. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I can't find any fault really in this movie too much. Yeah. Um, some of the special effects are a little cheesy. Like I guess really, if we're gonna poke fun at anything, the um, ghosts of the ancestors or whatever they are might be a little cliche very cliche but reminded me a lot but, of evil dead you know but mm -hmm. when she goes into the or she's she falls yeah. into the cellar that's the moment and the whole world is upside down and it's all underwater and there's this 
moment where all of these naked bodies of these ancestors mm-hmm. are surrounding her and then they drag Sean down into the water. The beauty behind the fact that all of this takes place underwater and that these creatures live underwater and they're resurrected in the lake. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the fact that they basically haunt the water and they drag you down into the depths. Mm. They're literal like sirens under the house yeah. that are like meant to like drag you down to death. Like the beauty They're behind just there to drive you crazy. Yeah. Like the beauty <laughs> behind the fact that it's not creepy little ghost figures or I like some three headed snake or something crazy. Like it could have been something crazy and it's literally just like what is written about in mythology whenever it comes to sirens it's just like an attractive being that's there to like taunt drive you, you and sing and like yeah drag you down to your death and like he goes into the water for the woman mm-hmm. and then is drugged down like to his demise and like there's so much beauty to become behind that. a part of the spirit world yeah like yeah. there's so much beauty behind that like these creatures, even though they're all naked, and I think at that point when she's surrounded by all these naked people, maybe we see some boobs, but they're not sexualized. <laughs> they're literally like these haunting images of like... Yeah, you're not masturbating you. to that scene. It's gorgeous <laughs> the way you look at a painting of a yeah. Victorian woman. Yeah. You know, her breast is out, but yeah. it's for artistic value. And yeah. they like drag her or drag him away from her, and then they're just all standing in a circle like... Like screaming at her, basically, this haunting tone. Like, mm-hmm. I just... I, a little cheesy, but also very beautifully done. I I, I loved that scene. I loved when uh, Sean is walking up the stairs, and his amputated leg is gone. You know, yeah. so it's just a stub, and he's actually able to use walking it for support it. Yeah. to walk it up the steps. I've never seen that in a film before. That's brand yeah. fucking new. That was crazy. And the, the concept of phantom and it pain looked from, good. Well, the, the what I'm remembering now, it looked brilliant. But what I'm remembering now is earlier in the film when she's kind of she wants to see the stump he says, don't touch me don't, there. don't touch me there and it's just the phantom pain they bring that back so that when he walks up the steps he's he, he doesn't have a leg but he's supporting himself yeah. with the, i mean it's a green screen effect but it's beautifully fucking pulled and off and it looks realistic like yeah. legit it looks like, sick as shit yeah. and like whenever he gets to the top of the steps cuz at that point he's still just in the house and when he gets to the top of the steps he's suddenly underwater mm-hmm. and he sees Rachel from behind floating just like she's been seeing all the ghosts and like for a moment there you're like oh it's dead mom like oh mm-hmm. no and then it turns she turns around and it's Rachel and he's like oh yeah and then they kiss and then it's brother yeah <laughs> and she's like what the fuck yeah and then they're both just having a nightmare apparently <laughs> and brother looks like a bird did we bring that up at all uh-huh. like the perfect casting for that character mm-hmm. is obsessed with birds I don't know <laughs> the trap door I will say my only complaint with stuff like that is with the water flowing up to the ceiling and the trap door flooding the water out and the lake kind of reversing um, the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. I think those were the same shots being reused multiple times throughout yeah. the movie. Well, I think that's where they might have just under, you know, like don't overplay your hand. Yeah. It works as like a, a pacing mechanism. Yeah. Um, but there's a reason why you only hear the Psycho song once in Psycho. Do you, do you really hear it once? It's the shower scene. Is that the only time you hear it? Yeah. Oh. And I don't do you think know, the opening to the movie is... Oh. <laughs> I don't necessarily have a problem with like Jaws, for instance, you hear the theme song oh, repeatedly. I don't. I don't necessarily have a problem with the music as long as it's not 
over the top and it's kind of subtle. Well, the problem that we have with the music in this particular it's film is that it drowned out the dialogue. dialogue. Yeah. And maybe not for somebody who listens to Irish accents constantly, but it's two people that were raised in the South. And, <laughs> yeah. Like closed all the windows, turned the volume up to sixty, There's and we're a dog like, barking outside, yeah, trying to listen underneath <laughs> mm-hmm. this beautiful music and this very poetic dialogue. But yeah. the editing was just slightly like I, off on that. I liked the music. Like our problem with the vault, which never aired because Brett's computer ate it, um, was that the music was like <laughs> At the obnoxious, same level. yeah, obnoxiously loud, but also just the same like repetitive music over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Like the music in this was pretty. I just would have mixed it a bit quieter and like mixed the dialogue a bit louder. But what I was saying a second ago, like I don't have a problem necessarily with repetitive music. Repetitive shots bug me a bit. I think yeah, it was the same thing that we had with the vault in the last episode. Was yes. there's um, the same cop scene. Yeah, there were four separate cop scenes, and in each one of them, it was the same shot yeah. of like the same cop moving to the same yeah. side of the vehicle. Like I, th- I think the reason repeated shots bug me, and I get sometimes you just didn't get enough footage, and sometimes not enough B roll. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you're just working with what you've got, and that's just the best you can do. But I have never been so. Which granted, I've never done a feature length film feature length film either but i've never been so hard up for footage that i had to repeat the exact same thing yeah if you got james franco you should have enough time to record (laughs) maybe uh 15 minutes of activity (laughs) my thing with that is like if you're shooting b-roll you're probably letting it roll for at least a minute or two you're not filming literally 30 seconds of b-roll and calling it a day more than likely so like if you have to use the same shot take 30 seconds here and then 30 seconds later yeah. on and like just use those different moments or, so you know that ripple that you see on the lake which is the most repeated shot yeah. here uh you could put that in a wine glass change the color yeah, of like, the liquid use the same effect yeah like change the context of it like i like it bugs me a bit when i see repeated shots because i and i know to be fair like i said sometimes it's just you didn't have enough footage and that's yeah. the best you've got and you're editing and you're like fuck what am i gonna put here yeah but to me, when you're watching it in an actual finished movie, and then, like, if I actually notice it, if it happens enough that I've caught that it's happened, it feels lazy. It's like, oh, you just didn't shoot more. Yeah. So I think that's why it bugs me. It's like, you should have just 10 seconds more. <laughs> you should have just shot some more footage. So. I, I get it. You've been working on this thing for a year, yeah. but take my, a deep breath, stay in the pocket. Don't get out of the pocket. Policy for filming is shoot too much. Shoot too much. <laughs> Do we have a major takeaway for this? I'm. Uh, my major takeaway literally is based on the critics because Brett and I, after we finished the movie, were, or I was reading some of the critics' reviews to Brett after we finished the movie because we were both like, what? Why? Um, my major takeaway I think on this film isn't necessarily even anything about the film or about the film writers it's about the audience like I think when you can't appreciate a work of art enough to watch it as a work of art like this is labeled as a horror film or whatever so people mm-hmm. are like oh there should be like blood or oh, jump this is scares a generation that does not deserve the next godfather because yeah. they wouldn't be patient enough to yeah. sit through it no they wouldn't um, but like when you're an audience and like you have an expectation of a horror film is supposed to look this way or a rom-com is supposed to look this way or whatever, you know, that a film is supposed to follow this formula, we're stifling the art form. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I have a major takeaway, it's watch movies and read books and listen to music outside of 
your comfort zone and learn an appreciation for the art form mm-hmm. and broaden your horizon in the world. Like this was, I guess, for a horror film, a slow paced film, fucking beautiful though. Beautifully like, shot. Beautifully artistic, beautiful like Acting. message of like isolation and like taboo and like all this stuff. Like I, I fucking phenomenally tense film. It's very similar to my major takeaway phenomenally intense. I love that they played with the things that you guarantee they had to fight to be able to do, much in the way that you made the dolls. You had to fight to be able to do some things that you're not supposed to be able to do at your level, like, you know, rape and murder kids. (laughs) Um, But, no, it's a joke, but it's not really a joke. This pushed all the right buttons, and it, it, it taught me two things. That horror can still teach you a lesson much like the shining like you watch the shining it's, it's slow as fuck yeah, it's, it's not two a hour. scary movie the shining like it's, no i mean like on a, like, on a the, modern... shi- the last 15 minutes no. are the scariest fucking not like thing on a modern had. horror level like it's not like a classically scary it's an uncomfortable movie. pit yeah. in the stomach yeah. question yourself kind of thing. like an incredibly tense uncomfortable movie and that's yeah. kind of what this was yeah the shining is a great example of how you can use a horror film um, to teach a lesson, to tell a story, just sit in that gross, uncomfortable feeling. Just sit there. See what happens. And takeaway number two was the writing on this film was... Poetry. Poetry. The, the, The dialogue was like watching Shakespearean actors... You know, like nothing that they said on screen was short of a, a master's class on on writing a poem. You know, like they were even rhyming words at certain parts, but it was done kind of like an Eminem song where you don't even realize that he's rhyming. You know, <laughs> the old Eminem, not the new one where he just flaunts the fact that he knows how to rhyme. But like this was like Lord Tennyson level writing just beautiful so those are my takeaways (laughs) i hands down favorite two star we've done props all around around. everybody that worked on this movie crushed it um i have very few complaints and very few adjustments that i would personally make so i very very few mistakes were made If you guys have anything you want to tell us about this film, you can send us a tweet at at Nightmare Box Pro, or you can take a picture of whatever you made for dinner because we might have an idea coming your way where we might be giving you like a weekly dinner recipe a to you know flirt around with your girl, <laughs> eat the dinner, drink while you're watching the film, and then listen to the show when you're hammered, and you can you know drink with us about a thing that you already know about. Send It'll us be more inclusive. Yeah, don't send us tweets of your twat, <laughs> but you can send us pictures send of us your pictures of your dinner at Instagram uh, at Nightmare Box Productions, or you can go on over there to the Facebook where you can send me angry man messages at. Facebook.com slash Nightmare Box Productions. If you want to send me a really angry one that you don't think that everybody else deserves to see, maybe over at our email at 
nightmareboxproductions at gmail. Or you can go to youtube.com slash Kristen Pennington. You can see everything Kristen's working on, including our new film that's coming out, which will be dropped on our other YouTube account at youtube.com slash nightmareboxproductions. The fate or the website. God damn it. <laughs> I never remember the website. never remember it. Uh, that would be the nightmarebox.blog. Um, yeah, go over there. You can see everything that Kristen's put into our website. There's pictures. There's behind the scenes. There's the films that we have, including Happy Birthday and the new one that is right around the corner. I know we missed the deadline. My work schedule got fucked up. Eat a million decks all at once. an extended holiday weekend, though, so... Yo, It'll yeah. get done. <laughs> and our next film that we're going to do after the one that's currently in production is um, more excited about that than I've been about anything that Kristen and I have filmed because I think it's going to be fun to shoot and it's going to be the first film that I drop that doesn't have blood in it. And so I have to figure <laughs> out how to write a horror film oh, without, no. without a blood gun. Oh, no. Um, and uh, you can... There's scripts on the website. Uh, There's scripts as well. My book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. The Madman Diaries, a collection. Um, it's fifteen dollars. I don't know why it's fifteen dollars. I don't know how to change that. So if you just shoot me an email, I'll send you one for ten. Even if it sends you, you know, or it costs me twelve dollars to get it to you. For fifteen, we'll give you one of the beer stained ones. Yeah, fifteen, I'll send you one of the beer stained <laughs> ones. And you could be like, "Why does it crinkle when I open it?" And it's not because I masturbated on the cover of no. your book before I sent it to you via U.S. mail. <laughs> and the coronavirus, you know, why not have a beer stained version of the Madman Diaries? Fifteen dollars, seventeen dollars to get it to you. I'll still send it for fifteen. But just email us. We'll figure out how to do it. I'm still fighting PayPal. I'm a little man with a small dick, and I'm fighting the world. I've <laughs> <laughs> got no sword. <laughs> oh. so my flabby phallus at the, <laughs> the gods of this I'm, planet. If this were a, a talk episode instead of a two-star, I'd name it Flabby Phallus. <laughs> <laughs> Wobbling my flabby phallus. All right. But... Quesadilla chip night, if you guys are curious. And if you want to know about quesadilla chips, we'll throw up the, the recipe and a bunch of pictures, and you guys can go watch The Lodge and eat it with quesadilla chips or a fine steak and a nice chianti. All right. <laughs> I love you, Spitter. I love you. And I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Share it with your friends. Please leave a review we're trying to leave our tiny one-bedroom apartment and move on to bigger things and we want you there to be with us so let's do it see you on friday i'll see you on friday friday <laughs> gotta get down on friday everybody's working for the except for rebecca black for some fucking reason she's not working toward the weekend